Hello, and welcome to Act Ya Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about The Dream Thieves by Maggie Stiefvater, specifically chapters 1 through 30 of that book as part of our continuing series on the Raven Cycle. But before we dive into today's book chapters, Tasia, what are you obsessing over this week? Well, I read at your behest, I read Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. Yeah, Olivia Dade. And for those of you that don't know, it's kind of a like a fan reaction to the last season of Game of Thrones, essentially, mm-hmm. where you take the the Jamie Lannister type character and you make him the actor that plays him fall in love with a fan. And it's really right. fun. And it's very <laughs> tongue in cheek and very much uh, Game of Thrones reference and yes. shit talking fast, which is fun. Yeah, but I do like, though, it could have been too much, I felt, but it did point to legitimate criticisms of the show. I mean, it took some cheap shots, including like the coffee cup and things like that, but it really did kind of get to the heart of the issue that a lot of people who are book fans who then are disappointed by an adaptation where they take what makes a character so special and completely change it and ruin it in in an adaptation and so that part of it was interesting and then I obviously love like the fan fiction element of it because uh, the main characters are also part of a fan fiction community and it it was very validating to see it I think friend of the pod I think it was Tiffany posted in our book club about reading it and she's like I hope Catherine fangirl (laughs) discovers this book because I was gonna say it's it's kind of in the way of a fangirl and so many of the things that we read. It's a love letter to fandom and to exactly. fans in, in the culture around it. Yeah. And it's just like steamy and fun. So there is this much steamier than I was actually expecting. I don't yeah. know why, but um, yeah, it was, it was real fun. Good. I'm glad you liked it. So that. yeah, I did. So I read that and I finally got around to Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And that is delicious. Just read it. Uh, I'm like, I own it and I'm scared of it. So I don't know what I'm going to It's not it. nearly as scary as I was expecting, yeah. honestly. I think you but it a, is. It's fun and suspenseful. And yeah. I think you have a higher scare tolerance than I do, though. So I will see. I, it's hard I to say. It's creepier than it is scary. Okay. All right. I, I mean, I'll, I'll read it eventually. Although, again, there are so many things in my bookshelf that I haven't read. And uh, yeah. they're still going to sit there. But it's on the list for sure. <laughs> uh, so my obsession this week is I think an obsession that a lot of people in the world are into right now, uh, following watching Bridgerton, which dropped on Netflix on Christmas Day, which I watched all of in about 24 hours. Uh, (laughs) I've decided to embark on reading the entire Bridgerton series by Julia Quinn. Uh, Speaking of series and shows that kind of take characters and ruin them that was kind of my takeaway um ultimately on after reading the first book and comparing it to the show the show is a lot of fun in a lot of ways but it really were they were like outlines of the characters compared to how they were in the book and plus the first book does have some very problematic things in it but every book I've read in that series since then has been really lovely if you don't know the book series is eight books and each book highlights or focuses on uh, one of the eight Bridgerton siblings. So it's nice to have them each get their own story. And they're just very cozy 
reads the familial dynamics are really nice uh, and they are senior romance novels. So that's fun too. And I've just really enjoyed reading them and I've got only two left, which I'm kind of sad about. So, but yeah, I really kind of plowed through them at quite a clip, Uh, but it's been fun to read and then think about and compare and contrast with the show. Uh, You can take the girl out of her English major classes, but you can't take the English major out of the girl. (laughs) The moral of the story. I'm like, I was reading the first book and I felt like I wrote an essay of like notes in my phone. Like this is different. Here's why it's wrong. So anyway, that's been fun. Yeah, I've been thinking about watching the show, but based on what you told me, I'm I've been reconsidering it. Yeah. So the problematic thing I think I'll just like say is it is a rape. I don't feel hesitant to call it that. Some people hedge and kind of call it an assault. It, it's definitely a problematic sex scene between the main couple. And it has a lot to offer besides that. The book, in a lot of ways, it has that scene too, and it kind of I don't want to say makes it better because there is no making it better, but the the way the characters get there, make it in such a way that you don't feel like she is a victim. And that's why she does what she does in the same way as the show, I think, tried to victimize her to justify what she did, which made me very uncomfortable in retrospect. The book lays it out in such a way that it would have been very easy for them to remove it. Instead, they like kind of double down, which is frustrating. But everything else about the show, it's beautiful. All the other characters I loved a lot. They set it up clearly to go into what is the plot for the second book. So there's definitely still a lot to think about. And I want to rewatch the show. I will just skip half of episode six and episode seven where that happens and the conflict thereafter because I I just I don't care to see that again but there is still a lot there and I'm hopeful that they take a lot of the criticism that they've gotten move better move forward with it so we shall see but anyway let's talk about our just I guess never-ending obsession is is the Raven Cycle and specifically Ronan Lynch and specifically this book Uh, as we said last week this is our favorite book of the series. We both really uh, love Ronan's journey through this book, and we're really excited to talk about it here today. Uh, We try to divide this up in half so that we would (laughs) limit how much we would talk about things. Our notes are just as long as they were basically last week for the Indigam. These are all, I think, going to be very long episodes for the entire series because, like Corinne said, we don't know how to shut up about these books. And uh, so we hope you're along for the journey. And also a reminder that these are all very spoilery. We are going into the big picture here, not just focusing on what's happening on the page. So keep that in mind if you have not read them. Yes, Very good point. So as we always do, we always like to start with a summary of what went on in the book or I guess chapters of the book that we've read this week. So Tasia, take it away. Ronan has opened up about being a dreamer, yet he and Adam are both plagued by nightmares and visions. Adam has moved into a small apartment above St. Agnes's church and continues to feel shame over his homesickness and feelings of inadequacy. Suspiciously, Adam's rent lets up in time for an increase in fees at Aglumby, and he accuses Gansey of going behind his back. It was, in fact, Ronan. Ronan dreams up a box that can translate any language. Meanwhile, Declan Lynch is attacked in his Aglumby dorm by a hitman called the Grey Man, who has been hired to track down the Grey Warren. At church, Declan warns Ronan about being removed from inheriting the Lynch fortune if he misbehaves. 
The group travels to Caveswater only to find it has disappeared, devastating Gansey. Ronan's nightmares manifest as two night horrors, which he and Gansey kill and bury at the barns, where Ronan is forbidden to go per the terms of his father's will. There they find dozens of sleeping animals in Ronan's mother, realizing that Ronan's mother was a dream and that all of Niall's dream things fell dormant when Niall died. The group searches a lake for Glendower and finds an ancient Welsh shield as well as a hundred-year-old Camaro wheel. While they're gone, the gray man breaks into Monmouth Manufacturing, subsequently killing two men who also break in to look for the gray warren. Ronan is increasingly drawn to Kavinsky, Henrietta's local bad boy, and when he and Gansey suspect that Kavinsky is responsible for the break-in at Monmouth Manufacturing, they confront Kavinsky, which only seems to confuse Ronan about his feelings more. And that is part one. I have to, I wrote that summary, and by wrote, I mean I stole most of it from the Raven Cycle wiki page and added a little bit to it. So again, I just want to cite my sources there. Because <laughs> I, I texted you, I was like, I know I read this book and a lot of things happen, but I cannot remember it because- Well, there's literally read it last night. Yeah, <laughs> I know, we were. Again. We both, uh, listeners, decided to procrastinate to this, this to the last minute, A, I think because we're both a little bit procrastinators, but B, because we knew it'd be hard to stop reading at mm-hmm. the halfway part and not keep going. And so now right after I record, I'm going to jump right back in because it was hard to stop and pull myself away. But I thought, felt like it was important. So we only focus on these chapters. But yeah, so a lot, a lot does happen. But then on top of that are all of this um, internal stuff all our characters are going through. So this is the Ronan book, as we've said before, and there's so much here to talk about Ronan. So to not do a disservice to the other characters in the book, we're going to talk about them first uh, and then switch focus to to Ronan. Uh, Before we get there, one of the things that came up in the summary is just, I guess, a foreshadowing and also just question I have going forward about this old Camaro wheel that they find. Because we don't have an answer to it yet. (laughs) I'm still so confused about the Camaro wheel because they describe it as, I mean, obviously time is weird in Cape's water and on the ley line in general. And, And the whole book series ends with Ronan thinking about that Camaro wheel and thinking, oh, there are adventures in our future. So where are they? Are we ever going to get them? Or is it just like a... I'm wondering if Dreamer Trilogy, but then Maggie said she wasn't really going to have the other members of the gangsy in the dreamer trilogy so yeah. much but i also can't think of a way in which they wouldn't show up because of everything that's going down over there right yeah so i mean we'll talk about that when we do call down the hawk and mm-hmm. we can talk about our predictions going forward in that series but yeah i just wanted to note it here because i just i highlighted it and i'm like what does this mean <laughs> why is this here uh, it's, it's one of the biggest threads that is just left dangling at the end of the series yeah and that that's where it comes from so we will see but i guess then what one, I think, one place we can start because one of the things that really stuck out to me in reading this again is that while this is the Ronan book, there is so much Gansey in blue here. So maybe let's mm-hmm. let's start there uh, because in the in the last book we have blue very much trying to avoid Gansey and and focus much more on Adam. But in this book, it's she's starting to realize that she cannot stay away from Yancy in the way that she wants to. We do get a lot more hints in this one where the tension between she and Yancy is kind of ratcheting up and um, she's starting to actually acknowledge and admit various attractions to him. 
She talks about his mouth a lot. A lot. And she like is very into him wearing jeans and a t-shirt, mm-hmm. uh, which I like because it reminds me of Simon in Car- er, in Carry On being just astounded by Baz wearing jeans. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> so that happens here. And, and it's so funny because G- Gansey's like, yes, I, I do look rather slovenly right now. <laughs> it's just like, Gansey, you're such a Gansey. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting because it's she's so determined. She even says at one point, like, jokes on you, fate. I'm not going down that path. Like, I choose Adam. And then, like, literally in the next sentence, she's she's thinking about Gansey again. And she just can't stop it. And it's interesting, though, because a lot of it, and we'll talk about Adam in a minute, is coming on the heels of some some difficult moments with Adam. So two things are happening, right? She's mm-hmm. finding herself more drawn to Gansey, but she is also struggling with Adam and, and they're in a weird place, which is definitely in a lot of ways explained by this bargain he made and the changes that are manifesting in him. But then also just again, this idea of fate that she, he's not who she's meant to be with. Right. So it's kind of like this, this perfect potion brewing up at just the right time because as Adam is making her want to pull away from him, she's also finally acknowledging her attraction to Gansey. So it's just all yeah. kind of reaching a boiling point. Yeah. And it's not just the physical attraction to to Gansey. I mean, she does have those moments as well, but she's also just kind of getting a better sense of, of who he is. You know, she talks in this book about how she wants something more. And while she's very excited to be friends with these boys now and feels comfortable with them, she do, does still feel a, a sense of inadequacy when it, com- when it comes to the rest of them uh, and, and her family is kind of teasing her about this a little bit. And she still just wants something more, but she thinks about Gansey and, you know, recognizes in him this insatiable wanting and his wonder is his something more. And so it's nice that they both are kind of moving towards that point of finding mm-hmm. it and, and recognizing it in the other. So you really like that moment um, I also like there's a, a nice full circle moment between from the first book when the boys come for their reading at the at 300 Foxway and she like sees Gansey and Adam have like a wordless conversation with each other and she's kind of like jealous. Of it. She's like, oh, I would like to have that with someone. But then she has that here with Gansey when they go to have Kala kind of talk about what's going on with Ronan and it, it's nice to see already just halfway through book two, they have kind of developed their relationship to that point. I really like um, all of the times he comes to see blue at Foxway because you can really see how, how much more comfortable he's getting there and how happy that makes her. It makes her happy to see all of the boys at the house because she feels it as like a sense of permanence. Mm-hmm. But um, Gansey in particular, I think he is kind of joking around with the other women in the house. He's butting into conversations and being told to shut up, but it's all a very familial kind of mm-hmm. affectionate 
interaction between all of them. Yeah. Um, the way she he asks her what her grandmother's died of, and she says, "Mom always said meddling," and and then he laughs, and she thinks, "Oh no," and I love <laughs> I love that moment because I've I've totally been there where like there's just like this light bulb moment where you're like, "Oh no, I'm attracted to this person," yeah. and she says, "Rich," or she thinks Richard C. Gansey the third has a nice mouth. Now I know he has nice eyes when he laughs too. This still isn't love. Yeah, girl. <laughs> I also like, I think in that same chapter, she like looks at Kansi and she is very into how he's fitting in with everything. But she also thinks that he was a privileged tourist in a primitive country, flatteringly curious, unknowingly insulting, quite certainly unable to survive if left to his own devices. This is such a perfect description of Taurus, but also of Gansey in that house. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's so funny. It is so good. I really like um, the few moments too with Gansey showing a bit of a dark side and and particularly a moment where he does this in defense of Blue when Ronan tells her oh god I can't even remember what exactly he said but he said it in a very rude way mm-hmm. and he he says Ronan you're never going to talk to Jane like that again and I think it's so telling that he says this while not making eye contact with anybody he's looking down the whole time because it almost feels like he knows he shouldn't be crossing this line. He, it is not his place to be defending her like that. Um, but he can't help himself. And right. so he doesn't make eye contact when he does it because there's like a sense of shame there and a little bit of an embarrassment that he cannot stop himself from doing this. And it sort of shocks everybody at the table. Right. But then later when they're in, I said when they're on the boat and Aaron Ronan refers to Blue and Adam is the poverty twins, and she oh, yeah. turns to. Oh Gansy. no, they're at the barns. Oh yeah, they're at the barns, and she turns mm-hmm. to Gansey and is like Gansey, and he's like, "You wanted to fight your own battles," and she. Yeah, it's nice because he's he's obviously uncomfortable, like you said, at taking that role in her life, but she respects that he is letting her fight that battle himself. Yeah. So it's kind of a nice little certain moment. The jealousy <laughs> moments too, where yeah. whenever Adam sees or Ronan. Who are these people? Sorry. Um, whenever Gansey sees like a blue and Adam thing, and he's like, that's that's for Adam. That's not for me. But then at the boat, see, they're, they're leaving the lake and um, blue sort of accuses Gansey of staring too long at Orla. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what business it is? Is it of yours? Whether I look at Orla or not. And um she says it's not, but he could tell he lies. And he says, uh, or he thinks Blue Sergeant cared whether or not he was interested in Orla. She cared a lot. As she whirled toward the truck with a dismissive shake of her head, he felt a dirty sort of thrill. Eek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, and just Gansey does a lot of self-loathing in this book, which we'll talk about more too. But he also thinks over and over and over again about the time that he met Blue and basically like likened her to a prostitute and mm-hmm. he like thinks about how he wishes he could do it over but then he's like why is it ma- like why do i want to do it over it doesn't matter like she's with right Adam. uh it's it's great and then but like there's just there are still so many so many good moments where she's just poking fun at him their banter is top notch in this book <laughs> like when at one point at the beginning he says to her i would have thought you had more muscles don't feminists have big muscles <laughs> and she thinks to herself decidedly not in love with him <laughs> uh, but then one of the things i like too is it's not again it's not just this physical attraction Gansey is this very compelling leader to all of them and 
at one point she sees how Ronan is looking at Gansey and thinks that look Ronan would do anything for Gansey. And then she thinks I probably would too, which is so lovely because mm-hmm. she's at that point with him. But then the next line is it was impossible for her to imagine how he pulled off such an effect in that polo shirt, <laughs> which, which I believe at that time is salmon colored. So they're definitely barreling towards something here uh, at this point. But yeah, I was surprised at h- how much uh, there is here in, in this book. Cause again, like I said, and as we said last week, you know, I'm, all aboard the Adam and Ronan train. So I'm always like clinging to those moments. And there mm-hmm. are so few in comparison, at least in this first half to all the, the Gansey and blue of it all. But I think then maybe the next point we can talk about is what I already kind of talked about already, which is like Gansey's deal in this book. He is still struggling with a lot of the things that he was dealing with in the first book, except now it's compounded by this sacrifice that Adam made. He's really having a tough time with it. He won't let anyone talk about the fact, essentially, that Adam made this sacrifice and what it means, what it means for Kazar, what it means for Adam. They're all just pretending that it didn't happen. And it's very frustrating to Ronan in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, Gansey's living life through these rose-colored glasses because he doesn't want... He knows that a confrontation with Adam... It's going to turn into a fight. Like he spends so much of this book walking on eggshells around Adam. And it's really sad. It's also really sad because Adam sees this and sort of hates himself for it. He mm-hmm. hates that he's turned against into this person that's sort of afraid to talk to him. But right. he also can't, won't do anything to undo that. Yeah. Because they're both still in such, because we left, like we said in the last book, we left them off in such a fraught place. And that hasn't changed at all. They're just pretending everything is okay. And like Ronan says at one point, he's like, Gansey just wants to keep pretending that Adam is a saint. But you know, I think Ronan can appreciate and does appreciate Adam so much more for the fact that he's not. He sees who he really is and right. accepts that. Yeah. Gansey is just still so concerned about putting both Ronan and Adam in the boxes that he's already like assigned them in his head. At one point, he specifically he tries to remember the past Ronan versus the one that's in front of him. Now the sharp Ronan, he specifically thinks, don't think about this Ronan, think about the other Ronan. That's not, that's not great. And then he, no, it's not, not willing to address Adam's sacrifice or think about it in any real way. He's still struggling with that. But I do like that. We see even more here in this book is more of his own personal insecurities with that. There's that part where he's sitting alone in the car and he's thinking about how he had so many friends, but he felt so alone and how he always comforted them, but not the other way around. And yeah. it's hard to read because you do get moments like you were in Ronan's head in this book. We see how absolutely devoted he is to Gansey. We know that Blue is starting to feel the same way about him. And Adam, there's no doubt he wouldn't continue to hang out with Gansey right. if he didn't adore him. And that's what makes it so good is that they all, I mean, they truly, truly all love each other so much. And that's what makes their, these little fights so difficult because Mm Gansey is not allowing himself to progress to a point where he can really understand Ronan and Adam as they are because he's clinging to other versions of them or trying so hard to not upset him. And I think especially with Adam, after what he said to him in the last book, he's trying so hard to just not cross any lines or push any buttons because he knows 
what he said and he knows how bad it was. So now he's just being extra careful, but it is preventing him from being able to appreciate them for who they are and who they've become. My heart goes out to him though, because you know that he's so good and he does have such Mm -hmm. good intentions, but his, this one quote after he's thinking about like how he's always comforting them not the other way around. He goes, as it should be, he thought abruptly angry at himself. You've had it the easiest. What good is all your privilege, you soft spoiled thing, if you can't just stand on your own legs? I just love <laughs> this poor boy. I, I know. But the, he and needs it, so many hugs. Uh, he, he needs so many hugs. When I do, like there was one moment, and maybe I'm just kind of extrapolating here a little bit, but one of the things we talked about last week is how for Adam in a lot of ways, obviously money is a huge factor, but also he has his own internalized issues as well, which we'll talk about. But one of the things that isn't, he he thinks a lot about how money is the heart of his issues with Gansey, and they are in a lot of ways, but there are other issues there as well. But first of all, I, I have to preface this by saying Gansey stress spending after Caves Water goes missing <laughs> and buying like a pool table and all the stuff. I was like, oh yeah, that's like when I had Go on an Amazon like spending spree, like right exactly. During this time, I've like, been it, there. Gansey, relate to it, but then it the it describes Adam as asking this dryly. He's like, "Do you feel better now?" Yeah. <laughs> and so that to me indicates, in a lot of ways, that yes, like the money is a huge issue for them, but it is not the ultimate issue. If Adam can kind of like joke and poke fun at Gansey for like. You know, he's not in that moment to me. We're not in his head, so I don't really know. But to me, I don't read that as him being like, oh, Jesus, Gansy. Like, money is money. Like, what are you doing throwing away this money? He's just like, he knows that Gansy's like having a moment. And yeah. if buying a pool table and spending thousands of dollars on things is going to make him feel better, it's like not said, going it to. Like he knows it's not going yeah. to, but like, I'm going to poke fun at you for doing that. Yeah, exactly. It feels like a poking fun thing, not like a source of anger or anything. Yeah. So uh, a sweet Gansy boy. I just I always love him and all the time. So he is such a su- and the way that he loves his friends, it's it's so pure. And I mean, at one point he calls Ronan, you incredible creature. And and then another point when Blue jumps into the lake, he thinks he was struck by what a glorious and fearless animal Blue Sergeant was. He's just so like impressed by and just delighted by these people all the time. And it's so sweet. Yeah, I it's a good boy. Also, that scene with the mouse in the barns. Oh, yeah. I love that scene so much because I feel like it's like the way each of them interacts with the mouse. It's just pretty much everything you need to know about their characters right off the bat. And Gansey is the only one that smiles at the mouse before he even touches it because he's just so ready to love and to be delighted by things. I love him. Yeah, that is a really good scene. I think then maybe again, the next point to talk about is Adam, who doesn't have a lot of POV chapters compared to the first book, at least in this first part. But what he does is, oh man, it's so hard to read. I feel so bad for Adam. He is just, as to be expected, still just really having a time. And I think it's even... It's even more messed up because not only is he dealing with a lot of obviously post-traumatic stress, he's just lost the ear, the hearing in his left ear permanently. He's just moved out of his house. He's just pressed charges against his father. He's just gotten this new place that's sort of, I think he at one point says, you know, how proud of it, he, how proud he was of it, how wretched it was. It's this tiny little room above a church. Um, 
he feels like really lonely there and, and kind of homesick, but also like he knows it's, it's the best place for him and it allows him to be independent and to do all of this on his own. Yeah. But on top of all of this, like PTSD stuff and the hearing stuff, he also has uh Cabe's water mm-hmm. being his hands and his eyes or whatever, and trying to communicate with him in a way that's actually very scary. So he's, mm-hmm. it feels like he's being haunted and he's hearing voices and he's just not in a very good place. Yeah. And he, and the problem with that too, is as we talked about is Gansey's just kind of ignoring it and doesn't want to think about it more. Right. So he has nobody to talk to about it and to like help him figure it out or walk him through it. Yeah. And I think there's at one point too, when Gans or when Adam calls Gansey, about this like first I guess premonition he has involving caves water the one in the shower where it like turned he like mm-hmm. sees leaves ahead of him or whatever and Gansey says he saw a woman in his apartment he said she was trying to talk to him he seemed a little freaked out I think the ley line must be surging and Ronan thinks he didn't say or maybe something terrible happened to Adam that day he sacrificed himself in caves water maybe he's messed up all of Henrietta by waking up the ley line and then he goes on to say, because they couldn't talk about that, just like they couldn't talk about Adam stealing the Camaro that night, or basically about him doing everything Gansey had asked him not to do. If Adam was stupid about his pride, Gansey was stupid about Adam. Mm -hmm. And so Ronan is really kind of realizing that Adam is in this really bad place, but his his devotion still at that point is primarily to Gansey, so he's not really doing much about it either, but he correctly sees that there is more going on with Adam yeah. at that point. Ronan hits the hits the nail right on there. Yeah, and then uh, so it's it's it is so hard to to read about this shame that he has. We get more of Adam just feeling so run down and so tired that ho- whole passage like breaks my heart. What do you want, Adam? And his his desires. Oh, <laughs> I'm just gonna read the whole thing because read the whole thing because it's 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 Adam. Okay. What do you want, Adam? What do you need, Adam? Want and need were words that got eaten smaller and smaller. Freedom, autonomy, a perennial bank balance, a stainless steel condo in a dustless city, a silky black car to make out with blue, eight hours of sleep, a cell phone, a bed, to kiss blue just once, a blisterless heel, bacon for breakfast, to hold blue's hand, one hour of sleep, toilet paper, deodorant, a soda, a minute to close his eyes. What do you want, Adam, to feel awake when my eyes are open? I'm like going to cry right now. (laughs) It's like literally, he just, it's, he wants all these big things, but he can't even have these small things right now. And it's right. The way his wants and needs just gets like filtered down and down to smaller and smaller, just the most basic of needs that he can't, he can't even meet. And it's, it's so devastating. And also, I mean, and this is the book that's probably the hardest to like Adam just because of his anger. Yeah. And we understand where it's coming from. It's still really hard to read about, especially when he gets, really in in blue's face in yeah. a very uncool way but then he thinks about it and he and it's so sad because uh he attributes it to his breeding yeah and and he thinks at one point he had too much monster blood in him it's 
Yeah. And he thinks like, is this what my dad felt when he pulled my arm as I tried to leave the door? Is this how yeah, he when felt? When he shoved my face in the fridge. Oh, yeah. oh God. It's yeah. So uh, yeah, you totally get why he is all mm-hmm. of that. And what Blue says to him too is so hard. You know, he says, I don't want your pity. And she goes, then don't be pitiful. Mm-hmm. I do like that though, because he thinks to himself and he knew why he was pitiful is because he was trying to be something he could never be. He didn't need to graduate. He needed Glendower. And then he thinks about what he would say to Glendower and just be fix me. And that's yeah. ultimately where Adam's journey takes him in this is realizing that that's not true. He is trying to be something he can never be, but like who he is and who he becomes is just as valuable. He doesn't need to be this Agamby boy that he's trying so hard to be, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's actually really frustrating. And we'll talk about this more when we get to call down the Hawk that in college, he's basically made himself Gansy. It's really a little weird. regressive and to me, but that's also like telegraphed here because he says, or he thinks he needed a reset button. Just push the reset button on Adam Parrish and start him again. And this is exactly what he ends up doing. Even right. though by the end of this series, he doesn't feel he needs to do that anymore. Even way before the end of the series, really by book three, when he's finally entered his senior year at Aglumby and he can see that finish line and he is more in control of his powers now. And he feels a lot more like the end is is in sight and he doesn't need that favor anymore and he doesn't need these other things anymore to feel to feel by by called on the hawk that he needs a reset button still and that he yeah. uses that is is kind of a weird thing that I hope we get we get more, more there. Yeah, I agree. It is again nice to see how this is all still something that is it's here from the beginning. And here we are however many books later and called on the hawk and he's still dealing with it in a lot of ways. Uh so yeah, I hope we will get more of that. I think we are getting Adam POVs at some point going forward in that trilogy, which we did not and called on the hawk. So we will get more insight into it. I was so surprised by that. That there was none. Yeah, I really thought that there was going to be a lot more Adam in yeah. there, but we could save that for another time. Yeah, but, we um, will. But yeah, so it just uh, the last quote I have written down about Adam is this is when he's talking about to Gansey about blue and like why she won't kiss him which is like she has a legit reason not to kiss him but not telling him is is the wrong move for I think sure it's, i think it's unnecessarily cruel yeah um i think his his assumption or his asking her if something happened to her is is not great but also what he's else is he really just, think? <laughs> he's really just trying to figure it out he's like do i have bad breath do i smell weird do i am I doing something else that I can fix or is this something that I cannot fix? Like right. he's trying to figure out what, right. Where he's coming from or where, where he needs to be for her. Right. And which is totally fair and totally understandable. And her not telling him is unnecessarily cruel and then blaming him for, for even asking when yeah. it's a totally fair question. Right. Exactly. Cause, and she has him correctly pegged that he's thinking of himself as, and he's tr- acting pitifully. Like mm-hmm. she's contributing to that. And she, again, she has her reasons. She is avoiding the fact, not only that uh, Gans is going to be her true love, but that he's going to die. And she knows this. And it, so it's all just, it's very messy and it makes right. it feel so much more fraught and upsetting. And that's what I think is really rewarding about this book. Again, as I kind of talked about last week, you know that these two aren't going to be endgame, even before you know Ronan and Adam. Like, there's no way when with this book series starting off how it does that you don't mm-hmm. know that Blue and Gansey are going to be 
the thing. But how this is written and how the interplay between her concerns about that, how it necessarily affects Adam's own insecurities makes it really hard and upsetting to read. Even if you know that and you're rooting for her to be with Kinsey, like you want her to be, it's just, mm-hmm. it's very fraught. And, but when Rona, or sorry, when Adam asks Gansey about this, she ever said anything to you about being kissed? And it's also awkward because Blue has asked Gansey not to say anything to Adam. Adam just says, I just want something to be simple. Yeah. And it's just. And the thing is, I understand why she wouldn't have wanted to tell him in the beginning, like in the first book when they had just met and yeah, bringing up words like true love is kind of a, a big deal. And but now, now that they know about all the magic in the world, now that they've been through so much together, even though, yeah, they've only known each other uh, for a short while still, it's not something that's going to chase him off or scare him away to bring up now. Right. It's just a legitimate concern and they understand magic a lot better. So yeah, why she's not still not telling him, I think it's really her just avoiding her feelings about how it's not really about that anymore. It's really yeah. about how she doesn't want to kiss him, period. Yeah, she wants Gansy. That's true. That's a really good point because there's a, there is a lot of stuff too about how like Adam just like will touch her arm and she'll be like he's speaking a language she doesn't understand or he like touches right. her, her body wrist doesn't and know she's how like, to react what? to him. Yeah, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, that's a really good point. She is just she wants it to be true so badly, but she you can't feign that sort of spark mm-hmm. uh, between someone else. Oh, my poor babies. That's okay. They get to a good place. I, to good place. <laughs> I keep reminding myself of that. Uh, so I think then before we wrap up and dive into Ronan, we could just talk briefly about Noah. There's not a ton of Noah stuff in comparison here, obviously, to the big reveal that he is dead that we get in book one. Uh, there are some also great moments with him to uh he's always a good sense a source of humor oh my god the scene where like ronan is throw they're throwing stuff out of throwing him out the window (laughs) yeah and he like loves it yeah it's great uh i love it a lot but uh the most interesting things that are going on for noah right now is that he keeps disappearing more since the ley line has woken up uh, but also he is doing this horribly disturbing thing where he reenacts his death and blue like knows the timing of it that it lasts 11 minutes. And the worst is this, the after five or after six minutes, he just is, has been inflicted with the, the fatal wounds, but has not died yet. Yeah. He's just like convulsing on the floor. Ugh, it's so sad, How but disturbing that is, but then, you know, she asks him like, where do you go when that, when you, die then and he doesn't really answer her and i think right it's because we know he's circling through time Mm -hmm. and he's like regenerating essentially like every time and it's it's really it's hard to to see him i mean the good news is at least he doesn't know that he's doing right yeah he he then he doesn't would be even more fucked up yeah like she thinks he's intentionally doing it for some reason and he's not like he's just Mm -hmm. he doesn't even know he's doing it he yeah mind goes elsewhere when that happens Mm, poor baby thankfully for him yeah i also Uh, just wanted to quickly like in a (laughs) in a silly like favorite bro tp um blue and chainsaw (laughs) are so cute in this book like first of all chainsaw is adorable in this book she's like a moody teenager raven and she just has Maggie writes animals with so much personality sometimes, but the way that like Blue will cuddle Chainsaw before handing her back to Ronan to uh, try to calm her down or make her happy, 
And after Blue jumps out of the boat, um, Chainsaw is described as like launching herself into the air and like circling the area where she disappeared under the water because she's worried about her. It's just very, very cute. Yeah. I love them. It is. And then it's a very natural segue into talking about Ronan. But like, you know, we find out here that Ronan's dream items and dream objects are basically like an extension of his soul. So the fact that, you know, Chainsaw is so into blue is is great. Yeah, it's a great it's a great like hint at how how close blue and ronin will eventually get we don't get a whole lot of that in the books in any of them really we just get kind of these really nice small moments Mm -hmm. but yeah i think in the way that and and we'll talk more about this in the way that his night horrors are are not just like vicious demons that hate him the way he thinks they are they are manifestations of his own self-hatred right in the same way that they are that, Chainsaw is a manifestation of his own love and kindness. And so for me, when Chainsaw adores Blue the way she does, that's yeah. Ronan giving giving himself away, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> just dive in to all the feelings on, on Ronan Lynch because, woo, there's a lot yeah. here. So again, in typical Maggie fashion, she starts off this book with a whopper of a prologue. In which oh we got it's so good. Yeah, we get the stuff about the three different kinds of secrets. Mm-hmm. So this is how this book starts. A secret is a strange thing. There are three kinds of secrets. One is the sort everyone knows about, the sort you need at least two people for. One to keep it, one to never know. The second is a harder kind of secret, one you keep from yourself. Every day, thousands of confessions are kept from their would-be confessors. None of these people knowing that their never-admitted secrets all boil down to the same three words, I am afraid. And then there is the third kind of secret, the most hidden kind, a secret no one knows about. Perhaps it was known once, but it was taken to the grave, or maybe it is a useless mystery, arcane and lonely, unfound, because no one ever looked for it. Sometimes, some rare times, secret stays undiscovered because it is something too big for the mind to hold. It is too strange, too vast, too terrifying to contemplate. All of us have secrets in our lives. And then we talk about how Ronan has all three kinds of secrets. Mm -hmm. And this book is really just an exploration of all three of Ronan's secrets. And Ronan himself in a really beautiful way. I, I think Ronan, clearly this is Ronan's book. Clearly he has the most uh, well-defined arc. Mm-hmm. So we should, uh, I guess, just get into it. Yeah. So let's start, I guess we can go secret by secret and a little bit, at least to start off here. So the first mm-hmm. secret is that, and then this is laid out in the prologue, is that his father was a dreamer and he figured this out. And the Nile Lynch family dynamics are such a thing i mean let's just throw it out there right now niall lynch was a trash dad trash uh we hate him he yeah the way that he he put the response so much of the responsibility of the family on his young child declan and then it never actually cared about declan at all like i think at one point he says or he had told declan when when declan asked what happened when he was born Niall says, I wouldn't know I wasn't there. Ugh, asshole. I hate him. Disgusting. I just, just terrible. Uh, and, and how he, both Ronan and Matthew think at w- one point about how um, Declan was no one's favorite because Matthew was their mother's favorite. Ronan was their father's favorite, which left Declan to be nobody's favorite. Niall yeah. was, a, was a bad dude. 
he, I mean, give it up to the gray man, I guess, for doing the world a service, but maybe, yeah. maybe in a way that <laughs> maybe Ronan should not have been around for that. Yeah. There are better ways to go about that. But really, Niall, Niall was a terrible dude. And yeah. But, and we don't get a lot of it so far in this chunk of the book yet, but Ronan's veneration for his dad, despite those issues, is Mm -hmm. something that comes up a lot later in going forward. But you do get here, and the obvious foundation for that, that Ronan is the only one of his brothers that's a dreamer, and Mm -hmm. that's a kinship that he has with his dad that obviously the others do not. And so it sets up a really compelling case for why he feels the way he does about his dad, but he also doesn't know a lot about his dad. And that's something that gets peppered in more and more as we go through this series and then into the dreamer trilogy. Yeah. I was going to say, and by the way, if, if you are listening to this and you have not yet started the dreamer trilogy uh, or called on the Hawk, this is going to be basically the main focus of the entire series right. is the family stuff, the Nile stuff, that history stuff. So really it is, if you've been just thinking about reading it and you haven't done it yet, do it, do it. Because if this stuff is fascinating to you as it is to us, um, I think it's going to be very satisfying. Yeah. One of the things I'm kind of interested in, uh, and I don't want to talk too much about what, some of the things we find out in Calls on the Hawk, but how Ronan finds out that his dad is a dreamer is that he goes into his his room, Ronan goes into his dad's room, and Niall's face was smeared with blood and blue petals. And he says to Ronan, I was just dreaming of the day you were born. What happened on the day Ronan was born that there's like blood and petals and like well yeah um Niall says that about it but then Aurora says that you know the the Henrietta Raven saying and everything was great and wonderful and they they right. argued about what actually happened and then Ronan thinks to himself couldn't it have been both so right. I don't know if we're really going to get that if it was yeah Aurora just poetic and Niall just being yeah, yeah waxing but, poetic but- yeah. But obviously, Niall comes back from a dream with like petals and blood all over him. So, mm-hmm. was interestingly that mean? blue petals? Yeah, blue is, is is a theme that's brought up a lot in this book, and it is obviously the title of the next book. So that's an interesting, maybe coincidental connection between Blue and Ronan. But it, I don't know. Yeah. It's just interesting to yeah. to point out. And I also want to point out then in this prologue. They talk about how, and you, Ronan Niles, said he always said Ronan differently from other words, as if he had meant to say another word entirely, something like knife or poison or revenge, and then swapped it out for Ronan's name at the last moment. So, again, this to me just shows that this relationship between Niall and Ronan is not everything that Ronan has built it up to be in his mind, because him thinking of Ronan that way and that Niall thinking of Ronan that way is akin to Gansey thinking of Ronan this new Ronan is this sharp, edgy creature. And that's well, not almost who he is father, at the heart of him. Yeah, his father is thinking of him as a weapon. Right. But, which is interesting because in the last book, when Declan has a talk with Ronan, he says, dad didn't want you to be a weapon. He wanted you to be the hero. So I, that's yeah. an interesting... It is interesting when we talk about that when we get yeah. there and think about it as we go. But yeah, so obviously this relationship with his father, this secret that his father had and that he shares with him. And also, as we talked about in the last book, finding his father dad is shaped a lot of the Ronan as we know him now. Mm -hmm. 
And so, and it also shapes then, I guess we can talk now while we're still on this first secret, this relationship that he has with his brothers too. You know, he has a very fraught relationship with Declan, which we kind of started talking about in the first book, uh, but we get more of it here. And There's so much more Declan and Ronan stuff here. Yeah. Um, I'll let you really, uh, jump yeah. in on this. <laughs> if Tasia, if you think Tasia is a Ronan Lynch fan, <laughs> wait till we get her going on Declan. I've got Declan Lynch tattooed on my face. Uh, or I doesn't. will right now. Declan Lynch stand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I love Declan. I really love what Maggie did with Declan in this series, which is kind of make him seem like a giant D bag. But I never saw him really that way, right? Um, I could tell. I mean, when you read as many books as we do, you can tell a broken boy from you know a mile away. That's <laughs> true, and that's really what he what he is. He is just so broken, so sad. When the gray man comes in the beginning of the book and beats the shit out of him. And threatens to kill him. Even the gray man is like, what kind of father was Nile to have put his son in in this position? Right. Even to have this knowledge and to and to be his his lackey, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nile was was great to Ronan. Ronan loved Ron, uh, Nile, but Nile was not great to Declan. No. And it has colored Declan's entire existence. Well, then I was going to say Ronan has a lot of misplaced anger towards Declan because Mm -hmm. everything that Declan does in this book is in the series is at the behest of Niall who Ronan venerates. But Ronan can't bring himself to be mad at his dad who was horrifically murdered for things like having a will that prohibits them from returning to their family home right so he blames Declan for enforcing (laughs) that will right when that is obviously not Declan's and also everything Declan does in this entire series is to protect Ronan Declan knows exactly who Ronan is he's known since I mean and we'll find this out in later stories that Ronan has or sorry Declan has known about Ronan since before Ronan knew about Ronan when Ronan was a baby yeah, Declan has dedicated his entire life essentially to protecting the family secrets and Ronan in particular. Yeah. And so when Ronan sa- sa- thinks things like, oh, Gansey is more of a brother to me than Declan ever was, it makes me really sad because, yes, yeah. I'm happy that Ronan has Gansey and that they have each other and that they are brothers, essentially. Mm-hmm. I love that for them. I love their friendship. But it makes me really, really fucking sad because... Yeah. Declan loves Ronan and Declan yeah. does ever Declan's entire life is about Ronan. Everything yeah. Declan does in his life is not about him ever. Yeah. And it's Ronan. it's really, really sad. Yeah. And also the way that um Declan knows everything about Matthew. We know that we will, you know, in later books find out that Matthew is also a dream. Mm-hmm. And Declan loves Matthew to death too and protects him with everything. So it's yeah. just it's really sad that the relationship is here yeah. in this place. Yeah. And, but it's also, and there are some respects that Declan is to blame here because don't we find out in this, in the, in this book, there is a scene where Ronan goes out and he's eating lunch with Matthew and he finds out from Matthew that Declan knows that Ronan's a dreamer. Yeah. Or he says, um, Matthew says, oh, Declan said you and dad are dreamers and blah, blah, blah. But Matthew made it seem like he, like that was a a metaphor type of thing. Right. But Ronan is, it, it suspects that he actually does know about right. so literal De- dreaming. Yeah, Declan 
knows that Ronan is a dreamer and is not talking him through that in any real way. I mean, Mm -hmm. Ronan never really gets much in the way from his father in educating him in this. And Declan is aware of that, but then in his efforts to keep Ronan safe from it, he also kind of buries his san- his head in the sand a little bit in terms of yeah. what Ronan needs. Because Ronan, we, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a second, but his thing, and this came up in the first book, is what the hell am I? What am mm-hmm. I? And who better really to go through that with than his brother? But for all sorts of reasons, that's just not where they are. So Declan is not, uh, Ronan is very sharp and he is projecting this anger that is really in, should be directed at his father at Declan. But also Declan, I feel like could yeah. discuss this with him a little bit more. I mean, yeah, they I need to open both, up and have some trust here. Right. I think they both have a lot of hurt feelings. Um, Declan has a lot of hurt feelings about his father and about Ronan and about everything that's happened since. Mm-hmm. So I think they're both they're both just really bad at expressing themselves. Yeah, they are. Um and and even when when Declan gets his ass kicked and Ronan sees him in church, he sort of makes fun of him and, and picks out the lie that it was burglars bullshit. Mm-hmm. And he thinks like the only person who had ever succeeded in beating up a Lynch brother had been another Lynch brother. Mm-hmm. But also he thinks about it for a long time. He thinks about those injuries and and is kind of shocked to to see that Declan smells like a hospital that somebody had yeah had injured his brother so much in that way. I think it does concern him. And in in a way that, in a way that's at least a little bit emotional and not, not just wondering who, who could have done that. I think a little bit is, I think that's covering up for his actual concern for his brother. Yeah. Sad. So yeah, the, this secret that Niall Lynch has, burdened his children with is an ongoing theme and that's this first secret we get to and then i think the next two secrets we have to talk about in tandem because a lot of where ronan goes through in this book is dealing with those two secrets in the at the same time even though that second secret the type of secret that you keep secret even from yourself the fact of his sexuality is something Mm -hmm. he's not thinking about he is thinking about it. I love the at way the same that time she as he's talking, word- thinking about dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way that she words that when describing the dream in the beginning, in the prologue, he never put lyrics to the second secret, the one that ke- he kept from himself, but it's still played in the background. Yeah. And it, that is a recurring theme throughout this entire book is that is absolutely playing in the background, even if he doesn't, consciously acknowledge it even in his own POV chapters. Yeah. And so really where his journey then goes in this book is coming to terms with both of these elements of himself, that his fact that he's gay and the fact that he is a dreamer and he's much more open about being a dreamer. now that he's told his friends and in a lot of ways, that's really good. It's, um, revitalized him in a lot of ways. Gansey or not Gansey blue notices that when they fly the airplane that he pulled from his dreams, his, his eyes become very vibrant and alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, so having that secret out and talking about it with his, his friends is really helpful for him. It's also helpful for them too. Gansey thinks about how, you know, it, was much easier to deal with the fact that Ronan was pulling objects from his dreams than thinking about the fact that maybe he had attempted to kill himself, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's good to get that out there for myriad reasons. Mm-hmm. 
but he still has a lot of internal conflict about what that means for him. I think especially spiritually or moralistically um, in terms of his religion. Uh, As we know, Ronan is a Catholic Mm -hmm. and in that same church scene that we talked about earlier, he thinks uh, Ronan gave into the brief privilege of hating himself as he always did in church. And I, I think part of that is the fact that he considers the dreaming thing an unnatural, maybe sacrilegious ability that he has. And it's also definitely about being gay. Yeah. That's one of the things that really stuck for me the first time I read this book. And I've talked with you about this before, about how I'm always drawn to like repressed Catholic stories as someone who grew up in the Catholic church. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through high school. I was not a regular church goer. My family wasn't that, but you can't really escape a lot of what you are taught in the, the church. And, and so a lot of what Ronan thinks about is stuff that I just recognize that like subconsciously I probably did to myself in a lot of ways growing up this and it come you know this idea of kind of self-flagellation is a very big part of Catholicism it's all about (laughs) being a sinner and he talks about that a lot how he's a sinner and the hell imagery you know Catholicism is very fire and brimstone and so he is dealing with how he's been raised and this belief system that he grew up in which is at odds in so many ways with what he is specifically as a dreamer, but then also underneath that, the fact that he is gay. And so mm-hmm. it just hits so true to me. It's It feels so real where he has this side of him. And so I love that conversation he has with Blue then where he doesn't want to go have like Kala try to figure out what's going on with him because he's very skeptical of this like mysticism and it's at odds with his Catholic beliefs. And it's so funny because, you know, I, again, have not gone to a Catholic school or like really gone to mass regularly in 15 years. And yet I still have guilt about things because that Catholic guilt never goes away. It's embedded in you if you've grown up in that system. So that's why I feel like a kinship to him. It speaks to me in a lot of ways. And I think it's just really well done. And it's an interesting way for him to process going through all of that because too, in a lot of ways, I think one of the trends we've talked about in other books is how society in a lot of ways is becoming more open to, to homosexuality and, and being accepting of it from an early age. Uh, But that's not the case if you grew up in a a belief system like that. So it's a really good way to frame that for people who are in systems like that still. So I I just really love how much this book on so many, in so many ways is really about Ronan learning to, to stop hating himself just yeah. for all the all the various reasons. Yep. And he doesn't he doesn't give up his church spoiler, he doesn't give up his religion right. to right. do this. He just right. accepts himself and that is what this entire book is about, just him accepting every part of himself. Yeah. And so, I love that for him. So we get like a lot to hear, you know, he says, you know, why he doesn't want to go to see Kala. My soul's in enough peril as it is. Yeah. He he thinks about how he had seen this like dream creature of Niles that was basically the devil. And, you know, he thinks about how 
the knowledge of the devil being the thing that drove him to church, you know, so he, Mm -hmm. he's equating himself in, in that way. And it's, yeah. So then the journey of for not forgiveness, but acceptance of who he is anyway, is, is just chef's kiss. Perfect. It's so good. And I, I love that here. And I do like that he, again, because of who I am, I like that he doesn't give up on his faith because I feel similarly in a lot of ways in that, like I don't go to church, but I can't shake some of the things that I I feel about in the comfort I feel of going like when I do. Yeah. And I think about going to church with my grandparents growing up, those are like comforting memories to me. So it's, it's very complicated and fraught. And I, I feel like I just really relate to that a lot. And it's really interesting to me. So you know, the religion stuff is obviously a big part of it. But then I guess, should we talk about the Kavinsky of it all and just the other feelings of self-loathing that come for Ronan and kind of grappling with the feelings that he's starting to feel towards other boys? Yeah. So I think one of the greatest things about this book is that really it is just a Ronan being hot for like every dude he meets on every page. Yeah. <laughs> At least a little bit. So Kavinsky, I think, is the most interesting of these instances just because, as we'll find out in the second half of the book, um, Kavinsky is kind of a perfect dark mirror to Ronan. Yes. He is, because Kavinsky is a dreamer, Kavinsky is also gay, right. uh, well, we assume. Right. But um, so he is he is everything that Ronan could, would be and could be without the rest of the gang. Like if if Ronan did not have a Gansey, did not have an Adam, did not have a Blue, didn't have a Declan, and all any of those things, Ronan could easily have gone down the path and been a Kavinsky. So right. so there's something about Kavinsky that is really appealing in a really dark way to Ronan, who yeah. also has a lot of self destructive tendencies. Um, it, th- there's a lot of appeal to that. At one point, I think he even asked Gansey, like, "You don't see the appeal of." of living the way that Kavinsky does. And of course, Gansey does it because Gansey isn't that. Uh, Gansey has no no drive to any of that the way Ronan does. So I think Kavinsky, for for as terrible as he ends up being and how, you know, how, how he is, he serves a great purpose in this book. Yeah. Um, for- in making Ronan realize a lot of things about himself and, and right. learn about himself, but also uh, as like a cautionary tale. Ronan. Yeah, I think the first half of this book too, it's very much Ronan in this feelings of shame about who he is, you know, the sinner language, his soul being in peril, things like that. And I think it's really interesting in that church scene when Declan says he's been beaten up and he lies and says it's burglars. And Ronan doesn't believe that because he says there was little worse than Ronan and Henrietta. And what worse there was, was too busy racing around in a little white Mitsubishi to burgle the remaining lynches. So he looks at Kavinsky as the worst of the worst. And for me, his, his attraction to him is his a mirror again of his own shame that he feels that he needs to equate himself with the lowest common denominator. He, mm-hmm. it kind of does to, it harkens back to what Gansey says in the first book that Ronan's going to get used to living in the dirt. He feels pulled to Kavinsky, obviously because there's an attraction there and there's an appeal to the, the cars and all this stuff that Ronan does like, but it's also a, a sense that he doesn't, deserve more than that because he is a sinner he's this he's an anomaly he's wrong in some way and so 
the the parallels there makes it hard to read in the in the first part here because you know that Ronan is better than that. Yeah. And it's really interesting how Ronan has such physical reactions to Kavinsky's presence. And uh, he doesn't he doesn't think about what that means for a very long time. But yes, when they talk about how Kavinsky's first appearance in this book, I think he pulls up alongside their car when they're on their way back from the lake or something. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, Kavinsky's a piece of shit. And he thinks to himself, there was nothing about Kavinsky that wasn't despicable. Ronan's heart surged. So there he's got, every time he sees Kavinsky in this book, instant spike of adrenaline. Blue notices this about Ronan when Kavinsky mm-hmm. approaches their table at Nino's and she thinks something in his eyes was ferocious and alive. When Kavinsky pulls up next to him in another scene, his palms go sweaty. At the bonfire, when Kavinsky leans in to give Ronan a Molotov cocktail, it says he leaned close, too close, and said, it's a bomb just like you, something thrilled inside Ronan. So there's definitely like a ratcheting up of like sexual tension between them. But like you said, I think it has so much to do with Ronan's own self-hatred. Ronan knows that Kavinsky is a piece of shit. And he thinks about that and how that should push him away from Kavinsky, but it attracts him instead. And that's definitely... Yeah. A side effect of his own self hatred. Yeah. I also like, and I don't know if you have any thoughts about this too. I was reading this, wondering why there is this moment uh, when Kaminsky comes to Nino's at the beginning of the book, and he's a jerk to Blue, and Blue feels a lot of like shame about how he makes her feel like nothing and is very invisible. And I, it doesn't really ever come back up again. But I, and I'm kind of wondered why it was put in there. But I do think it is interesting then to see how there are these similarities between Kavinsky and Ronan. And Ronan is particularly awful to Blue in this first part of the book in terms of the things he says to her. But versus how Kavinsky makes her feel, she is able to stand up to Ronan when he calls references to her and Adam is the poverty twin. She pushes back on that. And I think it just goes to show that she is a good judge of character and she can see despite how Ronan presents himself, he is not Kavinsky. He is different. He he's not afraid of Ronan in the same, like she, she has a feeling where she wants to impress Ronan. Like she recognizes that he's an asshole, but an asshole that she nevertheless wants to impress. But when Kavinsky is around, she's afraid. There's something about him that sparks fear in her. And that has never been the case with Ronan. Yeah. And then I think before we talk to Adam, because I think Adam is the most direct comparison to Kavinsky and the most interesting to compare and contrast, obviously. And then one of the last things, the very last chapter we read, it was kind of intentional that we chose this, is this dream Mm -hmm. that directly compares and contrasts them. But the bridge, I think, straddling between the two is Gansey. And we get some moments here where definitely Ronan notices that Gansey's hot. Oh, show. Yeah. Yeah. The dollar scene store. Yeah. I read this interesting post, I think, on Tumblr one time that talked about how in the beginning of this book, I don't think even Ronan knew that it was Adam that he was the most, that he, that he had the most feelings for because really throughout this whole book, like I said, he's kind of like hot for everybody. Um, And he hasn't decided until really towards the end I think with that particular scene with Kavinsky, that that he decides that Gansey is more brother to him than attractive person. But he is definitely at various moments very attracted to Gansey. There's this great that great scene that I think you were referencing in the dollar store when um 
Gansey answers the phone and is talking to Adam and Ronan is just sort of observing him. And he realizes that in this moment, Gansey, he usually was so polished and so upstanding and, you know, not accessible, but right now he looked, he looked a little bit messier and, and he looked attainable in a way that Ronan didn't usually see him and it made him very angry. And, and Noah, Noah tells him like, I know why you're mad. Yeah. And, and Ronan kind of freaks out. He's like, what? And, and Noah says like, oh, it's not my job to tell the people secrets, but yeah, that was definitely Ronan just being pissed that Gansey was looking hot while talking to the other boy who was hot and (laughs) wasn't even there. How dare the hot boys not speak to me? Uh, His unbuttoned collar revealed a good bit of his collarbone. No one could deny that Gansey was a glorious portrait of youth, the well-tended product of a fortunate and moneyed pairing ordinarily mm-hmm. he was so polished that it was bearable though because he was not nearly the same species as ronan's rough and ready family but tonight under the fluorescent lights of dollar city kansi's hair was scuffed and his cargo shorts were a greasy ruin again grease we'll talk about this in a second greasy mm-hmm. ruin from mucking over the pig he was bare-legged and sockless in his top ciders and very clearly a real human and attainable human and this somehow made ronan want to smash his fist through a wall I mean, dude, same. Whenever I'm like <laughs> overwhelmingly attracted to somebody, I just get mad about it because that's like, how dare you? I do think, though, it is very telling that the you know last couple chapters in this section that we read here is uh, the scene leading up to this dream that he has about uh, Adam and Kaminsky. And, but before that, it's when he goes with Gansey to, to confront Kaminsky. The substance party? the substance party and he is totally like in awe of and into and i don't think necessarily in a totally sexual way at that point into that version of gansy this is the gansy who's like his best friend and i think the fact that he does not dream of gansy after that moment is more indicative than at that point that he's already cognizant of at some level that gansy is just his brother he's his his dearest friend in the world and we get a lot of that leading up to here you know he he thinks about how Gansey has this professorial voice that he brings on that makes like children want to follow after him and it works on Ronan and he he has all these moments where he talks about how he just wants to find Glendower because Gansey wants to find Glendower so it really is more of this devotional friendship and you get it but he's confused by and you do yeah in that moment I mean there's definitely an attraction in that in that scene too, it, it for one reminds Ronan of the Gansey that was before like Adam's tempering uh, influence before blue when it was just the two of them. And it was a little bit more rough and ready, like Ronan says, but there, there was a moment I think when they were on their way home from the substance party and Ronan thinks there was still an unsafe sort of smile about his mouth. What a torment the possibility in that smile was. Yeah. So he's definitely still attracted to him in that moment. And I mean, hey, you don't have to not be attracted to somebody to think of them as like, sure, as like a brother. So you could be like that. He's like a brother to me, but he's a very hot brother, which is right. (laughs) Well, it's a very confusing thing for him. Well, it's interesting how it's kind of set up too. So this whole chapter is chapter 27. It's a great chapter. It is immediately framed as a direct comparison between Gansey and Kavinsky. You know, Gansey held court over the tidier, brighter elements of the town. He was His was a sunshiny world of Aglenby desks, junior faculty waving at his car from the sidewalk, tow truck drivers knowing his name. Kavinsky, on the other hand, ruled the night. And 
it says Ronan preferred them separate. He did not like his foods to touch. So this chapter to me is Ronan being like, I have these two boys that I have thoughts about. And I think the shoulder and the devil on his shoulder. Exactly. And so it's really interesting. But then I think that he, like I said, I do think at the end of this chapter, be the fact that he does not dream of Gansey mm-hmm. in that way. Especially after indicative. what Gansey says. Yeah, this is like the dark kind of uh, dangerous version of Gansey. And interestingly enough, this is also the Gansey that will later show up to take Blue on secret car dates. Mm-hmm. And Blue also notices that this is a this is a simmering Gansey. Yeah. Oh, and then this part too. This is the Gansey Ronan realized that Adam would hate. Gansey said, and what is it my dog needs? Ronan's lips curled into a smile. Fuck the past. This is the present. Yeah. <laughs> so much. Um, I also would like to note briefly that <laughs> Ronan had left Chainsaw behind much to her irritation because he didn't <laughs> want her to learn any bad language. Ronan. <laughs> please. I love it. Uh, so... Yeah, so that is a really you know interesting way to you know compare and contrast Kaminsky in that moment. I do want to revisit when we finish this book. I, I think it's more pertinent at the end. But the last quote that starts off this book before the prologue is, I loathe people who keep dogs. They are cowards who haven't got the guts to bite people themselves. And mm-hmm. so what I like in that moment is that, you know, Kaminsky is calling Ronan Gansey's dog and you know, that's not what Ronan is. And that's a, a process he gets to towards the end of the book. But, you know, Gansey isn't a coward. He's able to fight his own battles and he does that there. And it's really nice to see. I also love that neither one of them is offended by that in the way that Kavinsky wants him yeah. to be. Like, both like of them are so like, what? We know who yeah, we Ronan's are. Ronan's like, I'll be his dog. I don't give a shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so then let's talk about Ronan and Adam. Because okay. <laughs> if we must, <laughs> because wow, wow, he just we we talked about this a little bit already. Like he gets Adam way more than than Gansy does. He knows that that uh, Adam is is dealing with stuff, and Gansy's unwillingness to talk about it is is not a good thing. You know, it's interesting to look at those moments that you just talked about, like when Adam calls Gansy. Who? What is Ronan more upset about at that point? Is right. It, who is, is it? Gansy? Is definitely. it? Is it? Yeah, exactly. And you know, when Noah says to him, "I know what your secret is," and he's like, "But it's not my place to tell other people's secrets." I think that it's a direct reference to Adam because we'll talk about it towards the end in terms of the full mm-hmm. circle moment with the prologue, but uh, in the second half of the book. But I think it's probably more Adam. He just doesn't know it yet. But it's yeah. so a lot of really great hints and like right right off the get about Ronan's deeper feelings for Adam. In the beginning of the book, he he chews on his little wristbands and he thinks that they taste like gasoline and he associates that flavor with summer and thinks it's sexy. And what else could you possibly associate with this with the smell or flavor of gasoline? Adam Parrish, mechanic boy wonder. Yeah. Right. I think that's I think that's a direct kind of subtle association that Ronan has made 
with with Adam and one of and the reason why he finds gasoline sexy. Yeah, definitely. Because um, then in one of the dreams too, he thinks about uh, <laughs> that Adam's fingers were black with oil, and we will mm-hmm. later find out how Ronan has a very specific kink when it comes to Adam. <laughs> it's his hands. Such a he's he's a hand man, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, <laughs> that's all definitely there. So the the physical attraction stuff is definitely highlighted, but then. Again, just more understanding of who who Adam is. The thing was, Ronan knew uh, what a face looked like just before it was about to break. He'd seen it in the mirror often enough. Adam had fracture lines all over him. So he, he again, is just tapping into who Adam really is. And then the, the, the contrast to that, I love that scene when they go to the barns and he's, Ronan's like, just so mad he's he he loves it there so much and it hurts so much to be back there Mm -hmm. and he punches the wall and Gansy says Adam well you're just gonna stand there and Adam was like yeah and Gansy's like oh real nice he's like I can't kill his demons Mm -hmm. so again the symmetry right the fact that Gansy leaps to prevent Ronan from harming himself and his surroundings but Adam really understands Ronan on a different level because he knows that Ronan what Ronan needs is that cathartic release what Ronan needs is to fall down and hurt himself like I said in the last episode like how are you ever going to learn that the stove is hot if you don't touch it you know like he he needs to fall down and he needs to get hurt so that he knows he doesn't want that Ugh, it's just it's great so let's talk then about like the two Adam focused dreams I guess um, okay. and then there's one other dream we can talk about too, but I think the, the first dream is the mask dream, which scares the bejeebuses out of me. I don't like it. Um, it was chapter 17, which is where Ronan dreams about a mask that his father dreamt and normally hangs on the wall at the barns. But in this dream, it's hanging on the wall of Adam's apartment and Adam puts it on and he can't get it off. And then when Ronan takes it off, it like takes off all of Adam's face. And it's very like scary, but it's to me a very clear allegory for how Ronan is kind of also internalizing what the hell does it mean that Adam has made this bargain with Cave's mm-hmm. water and is it going to destroy him? And can he separate it out? He can't, he can't take, he can't take that bargain away because then it, it kills Adam. It, they are the same now. For better yeah. or for worse. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. The mask as as the the deal with Caves Water. My initial thought in reading this was more about how the like how the nightmares are an al or the night terrors are a, a, an allegory for how Ronan feels conflicted about his own sexuality and the fact of being a dreamer. Like they're a manifestation of his own self doubt and self worth. And so I thought that he was equating Adam to that because he had mm-hmm. feelings for Adam that he hasn't tapped into yet. So this mask is, is something that it's something dangerous. And that's kind of what Adam is to him at that point. But the more I think about it, the more times I've reread it, I've, I'm on the cave water train as to yeah. what that means. I always thought that it was like, the, because the mask is a dream object um, and Ronan is a dreamer. I always thought of it as Ronan's concern for Adam in regards to himself, mm-hmm. uh, like yeah, he would be nothing but a but a polluting influence on Adam or something like that. That's why it's really fun to talk about these dreams. Are so <laughs> chewy. I love them so much. Well, I also think there's something too. So, like the mask is a dream object that Niall dreamt, and then we know later that Ronan dreamt Cave's water. So it's mm-hmm. Adam being 
overtaken Strain, overtaken by, by a dream thing mm-hmm. which to, yeah so like which is ronin it's caves water yeah. it's all these things so i really uh the layers I, the layers it's so, it's so good. crunchy um also that dream to uh the orphan girl who i feel bad calling her orphan girl when we know her name is ultimately opal so i'm gonna call her opal we don't find mm-hmm. out until later but opal's like freaking out and is like just wants him to just kill Adam essentially and it says Rodan could not kill him no matter how much orphan girl bagged it was Adam and that's a lovely f- moment mm-hmm. foreshadowing in yeah. King when Ronan just like will not fight Adam when he is possessed by the demon I it's, I think that's another because because Ronan knows the abuse that Adam has endured at the hands of his father mm-hmm. and I think there, there's another really good reference to that I think in this book when when Adam goes up to reach for the mask on the wall uh, possibly mm-hmm. to put it on Ronan remembers this horrible dream he's had. So he launches himself at Adam and grabs his wrist and pulls him away. But then he realizes he, he has startled Adam and he feels Adam's pulse pounding in his wrist mm-hmm. and he immediately lets go and backs away. And it doesn't say it explicitly in the text, but I think that's, that's Ronan realizing that he might have like triggered Adam right there. And oh, he, like that that he does not want, to be a source of fear like that in Adam's life. And he just, I mean, because he immediately backs off. Oh, like he, I love that. The second that. he feels his pulse pounding and sees the startled look in his eyes, he drops his hand and like puts a lot of space I love between that. them. I love that so much. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I, that's always been my read on that last uh, chapter in The Raven King. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's why he won't, I mean, it's Adam, but also he's not going to, he will not hit Adam. It's, he's, yeah. it's, not, it's a non-star for him. So that dream is great. And then, the last chapter that we ended on was this. It's a sex dream. It's 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 a sex dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's oh god, there's just so much there. So it starts with uh, Ronan being able to see his back tattoo, which obviously he cannot see himself most of the time, and the tattoo being like a manifestation of all of his like doubts and fears, and you know it has the barns it has chainsaw it has it's all these you know sharp edges to it and they say in particular uh, claws and beaks which is uh, a latin phrase that will come up a lot later yeah between adam and ronan yeah uh but we got i mean we get adam tracing the tattoo and saying you know i know what that is in latin i'm not gonna say it in latin so you know, I like that, you know, I was thinking more about it and I was kind of doing some reading online about it, you know, but like the tattoo Ronan had complicated reasons for getting it. He talks about how he kind of did it to piss off Declan. He just wanted to see if it hurt as much as people said it would. And, but it also, the physical design of it is like said is, is an internalization. A lot of the stuff he's going on and Adam and that in the dream saying, I know what that is saying it's it's a, an acknowledgement of everything that we've already talked about that R- Adam sees what Ronan is going through and really sees the true mm-hmm. side of him. And then you can contrast that to what happens later in the dream with the tattoo getting smaller and smaller and ultimately Ronan disappearing. So all that's left is like this ke- small Celtic knot, which then Kavinsky consumes, like he eats it. Adam has turned into Kavinsky yeah. and swallows which is an interesting uh, choice of words there. I think yeah. an intentional one. And, um, and, it, and it's Kavinsky says in Latin, I know what you are. Yeah. So that's obviously both being gay and a dreamer. It, mm-hmm. it, so and I, Ronan wakes up feeling 
elated or feels euphoric and ashamed and the euphoria wears off way before the shame does. Yeah. And I mean, sex dream. Yeah. (laughs) But then also like the idea that like Ronan will become so small and like if he allows him to Kavinsky will be consumed consumed entirely is like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so good. Yeah. And so then, and, and the the Adam morphing into Kavinsky, which is really closely tying those two together in Ronan's mind, even though they are there is a clear distinction there. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like you said, Adam is the one understanding him, and Kavinsky is the one consuming him. Yeah, but Ugh. there is a, a a connection there between them in Ronan's mind, which is the attraction. Yeah. So I texted you this, though, while I was reading this and I was taking my notes because this chapter ends with the line, he was never sleeping again. And Mm -hmm. this immediately calls to mind to me the scene in The Raven King where finally Adam and Ronan are, for all intents and purposes, together. And Adam is basically doing this. He's tracing the lines of Ronan's tattoo. It is a completely, it's a rewriting of that dream in, in the light Right. Like in, in every sense of the word, they're right. awake, but also um, it is not a fear-based interaction anymore. Correct. And it ends on the exact same line where it was never sleeping mm-hmm. again, but it's he's in this much better place that he's not never sleeping again because of shame. He's, he's never sleeping. Never he's sleeping happy. again because he's happy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. Beautiful. Full circle. Although the, the reason I texted you is because I like have the ebook of the Raven King. And as I was reading this, I was like, <laughs> let me go back and look at that scene. And I like pull up the book and what page am I? I'm like at that page. Like obviously just rereading my favorite Adam part yeah. every time. I actually think I downloaded the Raven King at like two in the morning, the digital copy. I own the physical copy, but I was I couldn't sleep. It was like two or three <laughs> o'clock in the morning. And I was just like, fucking I'm buying the Raven King on Kindle so I can read some parts of it right now. And like it will soothe me back to sleep. So the Raven King is so good. It is so good. So yeah, that those are the two like big like dreams that are more directly in terms of like room and sexuality we yeah. did, how did we not talk about like the most infamous line of this book which is the the lamps oh yes. yeah um they go to pick up blue to go bury the the body of the night horror at the barns and mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I love it because Ronan is noticing the attraction between Gansey and Blue. Like, mm-hmm. or yeah, he's he's noticing that Blue is looking at Gansey, like noticing all those pleasant nooks and crannies in his t-shirt as opposed to his polo shirt, and but also noticing Gansey's attraction for Blue because he thinks that Blue is wearing a um, a dress that looks like a lampshade and whatever kind of lamp it belonged to. Clearly, Gansey wanted one, and then he goes on to to think. Ronan wasn't a fan of lamps. So good. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so, much. so, yeah, obviously, you know, we're teed up then for Ronan to have continued thoughts about, you know, his sexuality and his abilities as, as a dreamer. I do want to talk, though, briefly, kind of before we wrap up then about the, the other big dream chapter we have, which is chapter 11. This is the dream in which Ronan writes on the rock that we see in in the Raven Boys, uh, the True Speak Latin. He writes it in Latin on the rock. But I like that dream I like reading about that dream on reread because, you know, it says he'd grown up with this recurring dream for us. Its roots were tangled in his veins. It's, you know, more direct 
cave's water foreshadowing that he dreamt cave's mm-hmm. water. You know, we learned that, uh, you know, Cal tells him your dreams are, you know, bits of your soul and this idea that its roots were tangled in his veins. Like it's, it's a part of him and who he, this is just is. one of those things. that's so crazy to think about. Like, the fact that when when Ronan tells them that Cabe's water is his in the Raven King, and it's it's th- this big reveal, it's this big shock. But like they, like Maggie just straight up writes it right here. Yeah. Like it is it is plain plain fact. Right. And when you reread it, you're like, how did I not like take that thought to the next? Yeah, to the next place. It's so she just does yeah. those things in such a good way, like that foreshadowing. Yeah. It's so it's, well done. It is so well done. I also just like this dream too because uh, the hornets come and attack Ronan in this dream and he thinks about how they killed Gansey and how in his dreams they've killed Dream Ronan too. And I just love that like he's so he's so devoted to Gansey that he's like having nightmares about Gansey's death mm-hmm. and how it would essentially kill him too. He eventually goes on to to dream other places yeah. so that he doesn't accidentally bring back something dangerous to Gansey. Yeah. And then I also have to, this is our first introduction to Opal, who is this like a scaredy cat. But I like that because, again, she's the manifestation of Ronan's dream. She's a part of him mm-hmm. and his own fears and his own issues that he has. She's a manifestation of that, too. I think Blue puts it later in The Raven King when he actually dreams her into existence. And Blue says that you know, Ronan has manifested his inner child. That's yeah, basically it's what, true. what Opal is. And yeah, she's his inner child, inner child. And then I like too that she, while they're like cavorting in that dream, is singing a pop song, which we find out more later that like Ronan like plays just like ter- everyone else thinks it's terrible, like EDM music all the time. It's very like angry and loud. But like again, his true self is like <laughs> a picture like a top 40 hit. Like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so just like a lighter, uh, more childlike version of himself. And mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Oh man. Any other big things? I do want to talk about um, the scene when they have broken down outside of Cave's Water uh, or what was Cave's Water. Oh, and yeah, Gansy yes. calls Declan to come bring them a battery. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Ronan does not, yeah. Ronan doesn't want to talk to Declan, of course. So he jumps into the back seat, flings his leg over Adam's leg in the back seat, pretends to be asleep. Um, and then I, Declan comes in and, and, like peers into the car and sees the leg on Adam's leg. And the book says that his expression tightened. I, I, for the record, I just want to say, I don't think that this is a homophobia thing because um, Declan later thinks and call down the Hawk about how good Adam is for Ronan. Mm -hmm. And that um, his original concern there had been about Adam knowing Ronan's dangerous secrets. Yeah, if Ronan gets too close to yeah. someone, and as, you tell them, yeah. as we learn, yeah, as we learn about Declan, everything to him has to be a secret. He is in constant fear of of people finding things out. He doesn't trust anybody. He knows that Ronan could never be in a relationship with anybody without telling them everything about himself. That is just Ronan's nature. Yeah, um, he could lie. never he could never have a relationship that was not entirely truthful. All right. So what I think that tight expression there is about is really, I think it's a concern for Ronan being hurt because mm-hmm. Declan also thinks about how he thinks uh, Adam is kind of cold. Mm-hmm. So I think he's worried for Ronan's heart, honestly, but I also think he's worried about Ronan's secrets and Ronan yeah. spilling them to too many people. So 
that, yeah. you know, somebody that might not be trustworthy. Yeah, that's true. I like, I like that comparison too, because we talked about like the idea of Gansey Ronan feeling like he's more of a brother than Declan was, but then that, you know, if it's, this is concern about Ronan's heart, because his heart is such a precious thing that, you know, reminds me of in the Raven King when mm-hmm. Adam has this conversation with Gansey about knowing that whether he was in love and Gansey says, you know, basically warns him like you he says, be careful him. with him yeah god he's a lot he's a lot softer than he comes across as yeah. and, and they they all by then know that about yes him. and it's like i just... know gansy why do you think i'm asking you this <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm an idiot oh how do we not talk about you just the casual reference to Ronan sleeping Super on cash. the floor of adam's apartment like Okay, dude. And the way he says it too, he's like, he's like, I'm going to wake up I, any minute and I'll be in bed in man- Monmouth Manufacturing. I'll be on Adam's floor. Like as though it's like a 50-50 shot. Like yeah. he's doing both with regularity. Like, And it just moves on. And I, I think I texted you about this, but I was like, I think the first time I read this, like I, I just didn't internalize it. And then when I thought about it later, I thought that I had made it up. Mm-hmm. Like I literally was like, is that a fan thing that I read and didn't it remember? Or very hard to separate out what I know from fic versus right. like what actually happens in the books. Yes, no, but it happens. That's what he's doing, and like just no super casual, ma- like like that's just a super cool casual friend thing to do, Ronan. It's it's yeah, yeah you're not sleeping on the floor. I no wonder bed. Adam knew, and oh, and I also God. think is a nice hint that Adam. It, that's just like a totally cool normal thing for Adam to. uh just yeah. be cool with. And again, as we talked about last week, we talked about this scene last week, even though it happens in this part where the the paying of the rent is is Ronan's doing. And it's just foreshadowing how Adam is okay with that when he does mm-hmm. figure it out. Um, so I love it. Love it a lot. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Should we talk about some superlatives? Yeah, I think that's all I got. Okay, great. Oh, actually, no, I do have like two quick things. Number one, when the gray man when mr gray attacks declan in the dorm and declan asked him like did you kill my father oh and, yeah and then mr gray said your father asked me the same thing i don't know what that means i'm i don't very that's another one of those threads that's left hanging at the end of yes. the entire series that i still know nothing about and I'm, right I, I need to know so and hopefully we will get something like that in the dreamer trilogy because that yeah. the the Ronan or Niall's background is a big part of this book. So that was just really uh, interesting to me. I just wanted to point that out. So let, let's talk then superlatives. Favorite quote. You want to start? Sure. You're going to yell right, at me so again. This... <laughs> Corinne once again stole all the best ones. Don't okay. again, steal. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So my first one is from Gansey and he thinks blue is a fanciful but sensible thing like a platypus or one of those sandwiches that had been cut into circles for a fancy tea party, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world to say or think, but it also makes perfect sense in a very weird way. Like when you think about it, platypuses are fanciful but sensible. I get it. I totally get it. How about you? Yes. So my favorites are, and this is the one you accuse me of like stealing, that <laughs> but it is the best one it comes early on and it's so nice it is it is their best blue have this moment after the first book where she's so like against them in so many ways but mm-hmm. she says in that moment blue was a little in love with all of them their magic their quest their awfulness and strangeness her raven boys chills it's so beautiful love it. love it uh and then this line from ronan is an all-timer i really want a t-shirt that says this which i could only wear at home because the quote is i am being perfectly fucking civil iconic Ronan Lynch shit Ronan 
Um, oh, my favorite funny moment. I like laugh aloud every time I read it. It's just such a good Gansey moment where they're at the dollar store and Ronan like gestures to Gansey for him to look at this clock that's like a turkey. And <laughs> Gansey just glances in and goes, Mon Dieu. <laughs> Who Such are a fucking you? nerd. Who are you? Just a ridiculous you. human being. All right. So I've got one more. And this is what Gansey says at the end of the um, substance party chapter when they are driving home. And he says, while I'm gone, Gansey said, pausing, dream me the world, something new for every night. That's it. just like some in love shit. Like, it, like, of course, Ronan would have a crush on him when he's out spewing shit like that. I love it. It's great. It's so beautiful. Uh, we're just going to do today favorite character. We'll save arc for part two of the book since we're not done with the book. Do you have a favorite character for this first part? Ronan. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to just use this to be the Mr. Gray moment that we discussed oh, with him a little yeah. bit more because, okay, like, yes, he's a hitman. Yes. He killed Ronan's dad. But again, as we said, don't hate him for that. Uh, mm-hmm. He just is, he's great. He's such an enigma in a lot of ways. He, this this dichotomy between him being a hitman versus being like a scholar of history and his reverence for for Gansey's quest and how he like respects it and how he's like mad. He's at the, so charmed by Gansey's entire thing that he yes. gets, he gets so angry when those other guys come in and start destroying Gansey's miniature hand yes. that he kills them. Like yes. basically for that, he could have just slipped out of there and been fine, but he's so upset yes. that they did something so distasteful and disrespectful as destroying Gansey's stuff Mm -hmm. that he kills them yes and like him and Mora like immediately hit it off and it's like very spicy and fiery so uh, yeah Mm -hmm. Mr. is my favorite part uh but I'll just say I mean it is Ronan but if we're gonna talk about someone else let's let's talk about Mr. Gray yeah he's great great competent we love some competence Mm -hmm. hot uh it's great all right love him uh then we'll transition into swoon moment again not quite as much here do you have one? <laughs> I just realized that I hadn't written <laughs> anything down. I looked at that and I was like, oh, shit, that's Well, there's, up. there is not a lot. We talked a lot. Um, I think a lot of them yeah. are Blue and Gansey moments in this book, honestly, or this part of the book to mm-hmm. this point. So my first one was, you know, Gansey, when they go on the boat and Orla's in her bikini and Gansey thinks to himself, in some parallel universe, there is a Gansey who could tell Blue he found the 10 inches of her bare calves far more tantalizing than the 13 cubic feet of bare skin Orla sported. But in this universe, that was Adam's job. But it's like, oh, the longing. Yeah. Woo. I'm I'm going to go with the moment in the kitchen at Foxway when uh, Gansey laughs. Oh, yeah. At the meddling comment and... Uh, Blue just kind of oh, goes, shit. oh no, <laughs> like, oh no. Yeah, um, I think good. that's that's really good. Yeah, it's good. good um, I also like this because I, again, just have a crush on Mr. Gray. Uh, he Don't takes Mara out to dinner and he says, or he thinks themselves, the appetizers were delicious, not because of the kitchen, but because all food eaten in anticipation of a kiss is delicious. I just like love that line. You can tell mm-hmm. like there's, again, there's such sparks between them. And I love that she goes on and like they make out and she steals his phone. <laughs> she steals something from him like, every time okay, they meet. And yeah. he's just, and he's he so charmed and he's by like, it. Just, can you just let me know what you're playing to steal next so I can like plan accordingly? I love yeah. it. Um, also, again, to circle back to just how hot uh, Mr. Gray is, can you please put this, read what you put in our notes that made me like laugh aloud <laughs> and like 
I said, um, Shorty and Patty Wetzel are definitely trying to fuck the gray man. Yeah, the owners um, which of the B&B. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, the B&B, he, he stays in while he's in Henrietta. They are both hitting on him. Oh, for sure. Like, just completely hitting on him. So they're they're swingers. They're trying to fuck. Um, I say go it's for a, it, Mr. Go gray. For, yeah, and well, no, now he's with Mora, so that's yeah. where his loyalties have to lie. But before that. Yeah, before, before that. Yeah. Uh, goodness. Well... <laughs> On that note, (laughs) for this week, (laughs) we definitely uh, plan to end on that note. Totally. Uh, Next week, we will finish the back half of the Dream Thieves so we can see how kind of all of this has shaken out and where all of our friends are at at the end of that book. Uh, And we're really excited to talk about it as we are always excited to talk about this series. But uh, I guess before we go, Tasia, where can everyone find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at RagyGakes. And I'm on Instagram at Ren underscore Reads. You can find the podcast at uh, Actia Age on Twitter and Instagram. You can also shoot us an email at uh, ActiaAgePod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And we would also really very much love and appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you podcast. It would be very, very helpful. It would. Yes. yes. So other than that, friends... Sweet dreams. Next, <laughs> leading up to next week. Hey, I see what you did. But there. I'm <laughs> <laughs> We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.